Guten Tag and Bienvenidos listeners and welcome to Uber Cinco, the podcast game show where we deep dive top fives. I'm Brian Ernst, your host for today's festivities, and in the den today is Mitch Brinkman versus Nathan Hennefant. Today our contestants will reveal and defend their top five TV moms who need to be president. Hey boys, give the folks something good. Hey everybody, um, thank you for coming back one more week and listening to us uh, blather on about our uh, top fives again. We deeply appreciate it. Thank you. Good day. <laughs> how are you guys? How are you guys doing in general? Uh, how's life treating you during? Uh, this is our first actual in-person, socially distanced podcast. I think we should mention that today. So yeah, and we and I will point out that we are all in. Uh, four different rooms. The three of us are in four different rooms in Brian's mm-hmm. house. Uh, I'm wearing a hazmat suit. I can't see what the other two are wearing, but we've taken every precaution necessary. I, I am in a different room, so I feel safe enough to wear nothing. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's pretty good. And then uh, as host today, uh, a reminder, don't forget to stick around to the end of the show where I, Brian Ernst, will give you my Fast Five send-off where I'll rattle off the definitive list of the top five Apple products that didn't make it past R&D. Give me some scathing ones on that list, let me tell you. And uh, for those of you that's your first time in the den, let us wake you up out of hibernation with a quick rundown of the rules. Each player in the den has spent time with today's topic, arranging their top five answers in order of importance. Those answers have been submitted to the host who will moderate the game, awarding points to the player with the most poignant answer. Starting with their number five choice, we'll move up the ranks until we reach each of their top answers. But if both contestants happen to have the same answer on their list, well, we have an Uber You will hear the official Uber Cinco siren, and both players must reveal their answer and what number they ranked their submission. An Uber Staredown is all or nothing, with one player earning three points. After all answers have been read, the host will reveal the final score. And as host, I am entitled to institute a house rule for today's game. I was recently digging around in the attic looking for an old saxophone I was led to believe was still there. I opened a case that felt light and found a single piece of sheet music. The final lyrics of the song seemed eerily relevant to today's game. If you find yourself in the spirit of competition, I bestow upon you this final condition. Please go see your physician about your returning nocturnal emission. All right. Okay, now we need to get back into the top TV, top five TV moms who need to be president. Let's waste no time. Mitch, let's give us your number five. Thank you very much for having me go first. I think that's hopefully an indication of your trust in me. So uh, number five, (laughs) um, I'm going to go with a, she's a tough as nails, um, tells a whole story with just her eyes with this character, um, Tony Burnett from the show Treme, played by Melissa Leo. I'm choosing her because this is a this is a good moral um all hands on deck for good humans type pick. Uh she's a um a public defender, someone who helps people who can't get help anywhere else throughout the show. And her job throughout the whole show is to help people um basically put their lives back together after uh, Hurricane Katrina. And the reason why I think she would have so much tenacity to just step right in and lead our country down a better road is that uh, she she has like a strength in the show. Like she stands up to anyone and everyone. And she's gone through, spoiler alert, 
a horrible tragedy where she lost her husband to suicide. Uh, and so she's t- she can handle anything. Um, I think going through that, you'd be able to handle um, a trade deal with um, with France, if you will. I, I think that'd be, you know, easy pie at that point. So I will jump in and say, just to cast a wide net over the rest of the episode, spoiler alert should be in effect from now to the end. I'm definitely going to be spoiling. Oh, stuff. sure. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. the second house rule I forgot to mention. Spoiler <laughs> alert in full effect. Yeah. Spoiler alert. I can't get that out. <laughs> For those of you who have not seen Treme, it is a a less seen show on HBO. Um, you you got to love character development. You, you got to love a story told not too quickly. Like there's not a bunch of action in it, um, but it just covers a bunch of really cool um, stories and, and um, humans throughout the um, strata of New Orleans society. So highly recommend it. Um, and Melissa Leo, as I said, she's famous uh, for was it, it was an Oscar speech uh, where she, you know, uh, I think that character, like that power in that speech is inside this character as well. So Tony Burnett for president, uh, 20 right now. So, And I'm trying to remember, I've seen parts of, of Treme here where isn't there also some sort of investigation going on where like a bunch of paperwork has obviously been lost from the from the police department, lost in the in Katrina and stuff like that. So she's kind of just helping all that detective work too. She's on her own trying to help people socially get back their their lives. Correct. Doing, with no actual backup because yes, yes. there's nothing to fall back on. Yes, there is. It is like piecemealing uh, people's lives back together. And uh, it was like a mis- it was a mysterious death, and they're pretty sure it was a, like a cop murder or something like that. Um, and she, yeah, she she gets in there and she she's just totally tenacious. Um, and she allows her daughter to like live and do her thing too. So she's also, I think, a good mom. And then when her daughter goes a little too far, she goes in there and pulls the reins back a little bit and helps her, you know, get back on the right direction. So I think a mom like that, gosh, you know, it, it, that would help anyone and everyone, you know? Um, I agree. And I think this is a good one to start our list off here because not only is she being able to do, um, do this extra work on top of being a mom, but being able to solve a, a crisis with very little um, help or um, information, which is usually happening when little information is trickling in from the military, whatever, you got to be able to make snap decisions with not a lot of info, but go on your gut. So she's a good one to start this off. So I'm going to award you uh, two points to get us off in the game here. That's, oh, that's wow. A, that's a hell Thank of a you. Start. Hell of a start. I, I, I want to mention too, I think she'd be a great character to come in from New Orleans because I feel like there's like a cliche understanding of like, Louisiana politics is all about, you know, cronyism and nepotism and, you know, and <laughs> rascalism. And rascalism. Yeah. I'm quoting, Oh, brother, where art thou right now? But, uh, but I think she would dispel that, that, um, that idea about about uh, politicians from Louisiana. There's a famous governor, Huey Long, that was very, very corrupt. I think that kind of um, helped uh, propagate that uh, that, that mm-hmm. reputation. So, but thank you for the two points. Moving right along. Moving thank right along. Yeah. Nathan, you're number five. My number five is not necessarily somebody I would vote for, but very presidential in at least a couple ways. So, um, so is this like a coup that they're leading to get? Well, the they're the owner of a multi-billion-dollar business conglomerate, yeah. and they have uh, cult-like followers. Uh, so, sound familiar? But their uh, their followers are all of the robots, all robots, all the way down to vending machines. And greeting cards that have the little chip in them and sing happy yeah. birthday when you open it. They're all fanatically devoted to her. She can uh, summon them to uh, execute her will at any point she wants. I'm talking about mom from Futurama. 
So mom is uh, a brand. She runs almost any product that they advertise in Futurama is underneath the mom brand. And she's this sweet old lady with a, a big dress, like a sort of a Southern Belle dress. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, hello, child. You know, just come come sit over here on mom's knee and I'll get you a piece of cherry pie. Very like sweet Southern grandmotherly type. Mm-hmm. But then when you see her in her private life, she takes off the fat suit and she's this rail thin, um, just complete megalomaniac. She has three sons, all of whom she mistreats terribly, but they're incredibly devoted for. And she abuses them physically and verbally. And then the oldest one will say, when I grow up, I hope I marry a woman like her. <laughs> she, <laughs> she, she operates through fear, uh, intimidation. Uh, some of her other businesses is Mom Santo, where she does genetic engineering. Uh, absolutely ruthless. She owns 99.7% of the corporation that she, uh, or all the corporations that she has an interest in. But she's completely fooled the public with what her public persona is, and then her ruthless desire for control and complete domination of the world. And she's incredibly successful at it. Um, her only downfall being, of course, the uh torrent lot of love affair between her and professor farnsworth that had been uh laying dormant for many years and uh he all he has to do is get to second base with her in a crucial episode uh and they end up defeating her so we all we all have our achilles heel hers just happens to be a little higher am i right <laughs> good news everyone um I think I don't think there is a, a better example of someone who you could just pluck out of their their character and set them in the White House and they would just be exactly what we've had for a long period of time. <laughs> the exception of maybe Jimmy Carter, who sold his peanut farm because he's yeah. a good man. Yeah. But uh, being able to have complete domination without even uh, lifting a finger, I think I think that that works out pretty well for this. Well, and, and historically, I feel like there are a lot of the it's harder to do now because of the the proliferation of, you know, cameras and the internet and everything. But back in the day, presidents did that all the time. They're like, oh, this is this is me, guys. And then personally, they were a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, like if everyone knew how often JFK had to do the things he did in, in personal time, I'm not so sure uh, he would have been the head of Camelot. So, um, yeah. but <laughs> yeah, again, she's not necessarily somebody who I think it would be good if she was president, but I yeah. think in the world we're building very likely that if she wanted to, she could become president. Yeah. Okay. As we've lived through that for the last four years of our lives and yeah. our actual reality. Yes. Well, I was going to give you three points, but you reminded me of my actual reality. So I'm only going to give you two points. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so bringing it to a tie game, we'll move on to Mitch's number four TV mom who needs to be president. We're staying nose to nose here. And with this one, I'm going to pull ahead. I just want to say that. And that's my, um, here we go. Number four, you guys might groan or roll your eyes here, but, uh, I'm going to say Selena Meyer. Oh, from Veep. Okay. She's already had a taste. She's already had a taste of the presidency. So she knows kind of what it's about, but this even though she's just such a shithead on that show, she throws everyone <laughs> under the bus as soon as it makes her look better or helps her make a couple extra bucks or grab a little, like another inch of power. I just think she deserves the chance to just get a taste of what it's actually like. You know, give her a full four years. Let's see what she can actually do. Um, and like, let her, let her be fully loosed in the president's office, if you will. And, 
I wanted to mention that compromise is in her blood, of course. She's compromising all the time, um, making deals with herself, with the devil, with other people uh, to to step up and, and, like, you know, move on. But I think that, you know, we're in a, in a situation where another mom might, might not want to move legislation forward because it doesn't help kids or it doesn't get, doesn't get this thing done because that's such a good mom who's moral to the core. So, you know, be like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll help six-year-olds like four or five years down the road. We need to get this passed now, you know, to get to get some like tax relief to more people. So I, I think that she, you know, she can play the game. She understands the the field, um, and she also, which I think is very important to to admit. Now, mom from Futurama is she is she a robot or is she an actual person? She's an actual person. Oh, she's an actual person. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um. I think that part of the presidency also is the image, right? It's about projecting actual quality and not having to like do some, you know, uh, like bullshit making up or like, you know, uh, like our, our current president or some other ones, but like the actual be able to look presidential and have poise. I think Selena could do that too. So, um, although that's my pick, although she's proven that she, she can walk the walk and talk the talk. She, she's done it and, She's what we can picture, easily picture being president. Yeah. Doesn't just her back end dealing, though, just like because we actually got to peek behind the curtain (laughs) on how it actually works, make us not want to vote for her to be president? See, now I thought about that. And this is my counter to that is that she I think she knew there was an expiration date on it. So Mm. she was she was too desperate to get things done too quickly. So I think we gave her the full four, perhaps a full eight then maybe we could see a, a more um, uh, prudent decision maker in those regards. Again, this is also could be insane. I just love Veep so much. I just want to see Selena. I want I want to see Selena, you know, just have her real shot, you know. She did free Tibet, so. She did. <laughs> so, I mean, that is, that is quite the accomplishment that uh, any of her male predecessors were not able to do. So, And also, to be honest, I think it would be so great for the tabloid industry to bring it back from the brink of, of death. You know, if she just had like a bunch of really great sex scandals, because we know she is a woman who enjoys uh, the, the, the lustly arts, if you will. So um, I think I think that would be very entertaining as well. So who, who would be who would be her vice? Um, I, I'd say Ryan Gosling. Okay, good. Wait, 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 wait. Vice president or vice? Because <laughs> he's her vice. He's yeah. her, he's her, her body vice, vice president. Yes. Oh, her vice president? In the show or out of the show? Who would um, be a good match with Selena on a ticket? I mean, oh gosh, I feel like, um, oh, here. No, this is <laughs> Senator Clay Davis from The Wire. Oh, yeah. All right. Yeah. Because they're both from Maryland, right? It's that Maryland connection. Um, and, and, and they both, they both can, can give a great smile and then turn it on you when they need to. So. Fair oh. enough. Also, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, one of the top, what, three comedic performers of our lifetime. Like she's yeah, Im- mean, impeccable resume. She's up there. And, and, and we would love a president with some timing again, you know? That oh, would be for great. Sure. For sure. Like, we, like we, we haven't seen the correspondence dinner in how long, like that, that used to be a tradition. So uh, on my initial thought, I was uh, only going to award you two points for this because of of how horrible Selena Meyer is. But because <laughs> it's played by JLD, I have to give you the full three points. Thank you very much. So Appreciate that. You got to do that. So Nathan, on to your number four. All right. I called an audible here at the last minute. Um, wow. And uh, I'm going with. Is that legal? Can we do that? 
It was before the show started. Oh, okay. fair game. Okay, okay, it was a fair okay. game. That's not an impeachable offense. Uh, <laughs> oh, I hate myself. I went with uh, from Game of Thrones, Olena Tyrell. Ooh. So this is the woman who worked behind the scenes. A lot of characters on that show are manipulating things from behind the scenes. But I don't, the grandmother, correct? Yeah, she's okay. the grandmother, the matriarch of the Tyrell household. The biggest thing she's responsible for is uh, the death of Joffrey at the Red Wedding. She is the one who actually poisons him, which positions her granddaughter into then um, marrying the other brother who she can manipulate more easily. Um, she's just brilliant at playing people against each other. She's not afraid to go toe to toe with, with Tywin Lannister or Cersei or any, you know, very, she just, she matches up with everybody and, uh, she's successful at pretty much every endeavor she has with this shadiness and the underhandedness and manipulating, uh, people into places where it's to her benefit. Uh, the only thing she makes a mistake is, is she underestimates just how, evil and desperate Cersei is, which leads to her downfall eventually. But up till that point, um, my favorite character in the whole show, uh, played by Diana Rigg, who was a Bond girl in her youth. Mm -hmm. um, little known fact uh, I find from people who uh, watched the show recently. But um, yeah, I think the way that she you know, was, was playing chess while everybody else was playing checkers, um, I think she would... Also, the wit. She would be great in a debate because mm -hmm. she has the sharpest tongue in that whole series. She just cuts people really underhand. And that was a, a trait that was similar with the person who I was going to go with in this spot, which was the Dowager Countess of Grantham from Downton Abbey, Maggie Smith's character. Either of the two of them, it would be just to see them on a debate stage and just with that one sharp tongued remark, just cut somebody to pieces would have been delicious. I think it's fair to say she has the best sharp tongue response of the entire series. When Jamie Lannister appears in the room and she's backed up against the wall, one of her final words is, I wanted Cersei to know. Yeah. <laughs> like that. Right after she drinks the poison that she knows is going to kill her. <laughs> like she knows it. Like that's the twisting of the knife. And you're not going to get that. I mean, that's who I want in my president. <laughs> yeah. If you're backed up against the wall, just keep going down swinging. That's, and it, that's and exactly it works right. because then. Cersei uh, is or furious with Jamie for not having her executed and tortured and shamed and humiliated. Uh, so she got the last laugh. Um, she did. Hmm. It's interesting. So far, you've chosen people who are are uh, duplicitous. Are you know are will do anything to win. Now, would would this would she? Um, what's her Elena Tyra yeah. Elena? Do you think she'd be a a effective president for the most amount of people. No. Oh, okay. Interesting. <laughs> but, <laughs> but in terms of party loyalty, she would she would follow through on her promises. I mean, basically, uh, in do you, do you think she'd be a Republican or a Democrat? It's hard to judge in the Game of Thrones universe because they're you would think more of the Lannisters as the Republicans, and maybe the Tyrells are like Republicans minus. One percent, you know the, the nuance in political parties there isn't doesn't really exist, okay. so it's hard to say. I not I don't think she would be a leader of the free people. She would be out for her family's self interest. Yeah, uh, yeah. It's her family, her house in the show, which would then probably uh, parlay into uh, political and financial and business interests. So 
again, not saying I would vote for, but I could definitely see it happening. Yeah. That is a good point there. So I think uh, because you reminded me of one of my favorite lines of the series, I'm going to have to give you the maximum three points. All right. Oh, my gosh. Let's get me just tying this game right up again. So. Okay. Keep it on going. Son of a bitch. Let's, Mitchell, let's, you're, let's, you're let's, not, let's, you know what? Let's 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 mix it up. Let's go to Nathan. You want to go to Nathan? Yeah, let's go to Nathan. Fine, here. we'll go to Nathan again for yeah. his number three. Yeah. All right, number three. This is somebody I would vote for in a heartbeat. Now, the, the thing was, who needs to be president or who could be president? Because that's a big distinction here. This is who you are saying needs to be. Okay. So just, it's opinion-based. Okay, so I'm just saying, like, so Nathan, Nathan loves a bunch of horrible people. I don't know. I'm just, I don't that's know if okay. that's a thing, but... You know. I never said I have the country's best interest at heart. <laughs> oh, oh, this is the route I wanted to get to. Okay. Well, I went from uh, this is my first sitcom mom, and we all love a great sitcom mom. Mm-hmm. I went from Home Improvement, Jill Taylor. Oh, solid choice. So the biggest thing that she does is she keeps this house of four rambunctious boys. Tim Allen's character is just, you know, an overgrown man child, but she keeps them in check. She she runs the show. But uh she's she has a very strong personality, but she also has a lot of a lot of empathy. Um you know, she she's brilliant at putting people in their place, but then also kind of with, you know, providing support with tough love. Um very empathetic. And her character grows a lot over the course of the series where she goes back to school and she gets a psychology degree. And so she's a bit more intellectual than the other people on the show. Um, she has a military background. Her father's in the military, so she's you know very good with the sort of rigid structure or whatever. But then she also knows how to open up to the shenanigans of her husband. Um, and also other people out from outside of the family come to confide in her. She's that trusted, like um, Al will come to her for support at times. But also she's not afraid to ask for help herself specifically in the form of Wilson, the next door neighbor, who would uh, be a shoe in for a cabinet position, if not vice president, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, and what a great advisor he would be. Um, I, I think without Jill Taylor, home improvement doesn't work as a show. It's just too silly, too much knuckleheaded goofing around. And she really was the best character, brought a real human element to it, made it transcend the cheesiness of most 90s sitcoms I mean 22 pages of just guttural primate noises yeah. are, detroit are... lions oh yeah and I, I, I do remember very clearly that you know the classic plot played out where she and tim were having a fight or whatever and then over the course of the episode it's resolved and then there's some big innuendo that they're gonna have they have sex that night and then it like the, the tag after like the credits you know, like the credits are rolling really small and then like there's an after thing and the youngest son mark mark is is like what were you what were you and mom doing last night and uh tim says it's somersault contests and <laughs> and then i remember i don't remember the joke exactly but it was something about uh finishing first or something like that and mm-hmm. and uh tim walks away going oh it was your mom she always <laughs> like and i, I remember I remember watching that and being like seven and it was like, like so many years later, like it finally clicked. Like I'd, <laughs> I never saw it again. But I was like, it was like a decade later. I was like, oh, wait a minute. That that's a functional joke. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Jill Taylor. Jill Taylor. I, I have to say, I, I, I wrote her down 
and she was one of like my my eight or nine moms that were rolling around the 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 decision barrel um and i ended up not going with her because i just i have such a I had such a disdain for Tim Allen that I was like, I'm going to have to talk about Tim Allen and I don't want to have to do that. <laughs> but also I do remember from that show that, you know, like it was watching her help her boys, you know, go through, uh, who, the, who's the oldest one? The blonde one, Brad, Brad, Brad was bad at school, right? He was a dumb, dumb, um, at her helping with him. And then Mark, when he went through his like goth phase and trying to connect to him where Tim was like, why can't he just put on a helmet and throw a football? And <laughs> come out in the garage with me and do cars. And you're like, <laughs> do cars. <laughs> you're like, oh my god. So yeah, um, and uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So I, I just, I just want to say that I, I agree with, I agree with your selection. Um, and we almost had an Uber stare down. I, I now I wish I would have left her in, but. Um, on to my number three. Yes, your number three, sir. Sorry. I, I get po- oh, no, no points yet. Go. Continue. Okay. So my number three comes from, this is a, our, our first cartoon. Oh, wait, not our second cartoon mom. Sorry. Um, also a fox, a fox mom, um, Linda Belcher from Bob's Burgers. And um, I love Linda Belcher because she would bring like some of that legitimate old school, like um, a lot of bunting on the stage pizzazz that we haven't had in a while. Um, she's a showman. She loves to sing. She does improv musicals. I would love to hear that. Like, and now for today's, you know, legislation, I want to introduce my What's the, kids? Thanks- What's the Thanksgiving one? That, that one always sticks in my head. I got to try and find that after the show. Cause that's oh, the one it's, it's yeah. There's, I mean, there, she, there's so many improv ones. That they're, they're great. Yeah. And like they have so many Thanksgiving episodes and she's always singing. I love her so much. And what I love is that she trusts people too. Mm-hmm. She trusts people. She has love for everyone. Um, she immediately wants to help people, uh, which is what, like we haven't had a leader like that probably in a while, maybe never actually as president, like a true just believes everyone uh, at the outset. And perhaps because being president, you can't do that. And it takes a special person with the um, with the pragmatism to be able to rise to that level. But I think, why not? Why, why don't we have a change? Let's have someone like Linda Belcher who just loves kids. You know, she believes in people. Um, she supports She supports her kids no matter what all the time. I mean, her kids are the strangest little weirdos, but they're so wonderful because they have her support all the time. Um, and that just warms my heart constantly. And also she loves, she loves her wine too. It's like she would, she, she would have fun and she would do the best drunk set at the correspondence dinner. <laughs> I think she would like tell bad zingers, you know, be like, Oh, but you got a tomato, butt, boom. And you'd be like, what? That wasn't a joke, <laughs> Linda, but she would just laugh herself to death. I think that's a really a good point is in our lifetimes, two presidents have abstained from drinking alcohol while in office. George W. Bush, Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. I don't think I could trust somebody who's under that much stress and doesn't want to have a drink. Yeah. Or at least like understands that uh, building relationships with other heads of state or other like that's part of it. That's part of the traditions of the world. And so I, I want to make clear I'm not, you know, I understand George W. Bush had a problem, so he's abstaining for a reason. Correct. But just yeah, if you do that job and you don't need it, a nice strong glass of whiskey like on a Thursday night just to unwind, there is something wrong with you. But in the case of Trump, there's no room for the whiskey after a whole bucket of KFC. <laughs> <laughs> 
I just, I think if somebody just got Trump drunk, he would realize I don't need any of this. I just, I can, <laughs> I can true. relax. <laughs> yeah. I can just retire. I can go live with my money and just have a drink and it'll be fine. I'd, yeah. <laughs> Circling back to the 2020 ballot that has Linda Belcher on it. The one thing I wanted to question you about is I feel like Linda doesn't do well in confrontations. That when she's backed into a corner, if, if her kids back her into a corner, she's going to fight back. Yeah. But if a a member outside of the family backs her to in a corner, I feel like she might shrivel a little bit. She How does. do you think she would handle uh, a tough talking dictator in a well, uh, international foreign relations meeting? Well, I think I think that um, then you have to have I think her vice president is going to be like a, a ceremonial one. So I think mm-hmm. I would just from the same show, Mr. Mr. Fish outer, throw him in there <laughs> um, and. uh He'd be the vice. I think chief of staff would have to be, um, honestly, her daughter, Louise. Louise is chief of staff. She's there to, to protect the castle. I mean, um, that that makes a lot of sense. If you will. Uh, and they look similar, too. It's like maybe Louise would do like a fun, she puts on her mom's clothes and pretends to be president for a day and pulls it off. You know, something like that. Um, and also, what else? Oh, also, um, as you mentioned about with the home improvement thing, Jill Taylor a fan of the copulation arts. Um, I'm trying to come up with uh, <laughs> Linda Belcher, same way you get her little whiner and like, you know, Bob turns into, into goddamn, uh, you know, Mark Wahlberg and boogie nights, you know, it's like, <laughs> and I love that about her, you know? So, um, that's my number three, Linda Belcher. So I think we got two solid, solid choices right there with, uh, because I'm a little, still a little bit worried about Linda Belcher in, in a foreign meeting. I'm only going to, have to be able to give you two points. And uh, because uh, Jill Taylor has to live with Tim Allen, you're also only getting two points. <laughs> First gentleman, Tim Allen. First gentleman. Oh, God. I don't know if we can handle Buzz Lightyear in a leadership <laughs> position. <laughs> uh, Mitch, right back on to you for your number two. Oh, yeah, sure. So my number two, um, this one, um, I'm going with the, oh, boy. The paragon of class, but self-made paragon of class, and that is Joan Harris from Mad Men, played by Christina Hendricks. Mm-hmm. Now, why would she be a great president, and why do we need her right now? Because she can deal with any and all bullshit from the worst men <laughs> the world has ever developed, which is white American men in the 50s and 60s. So um, she's also a poise. She has that look. We know she can, she's basically like the white Michelle Obama. Like, we know she can rock all the dresses. She can She can be that picture of calm and uh, leadership for the country. She also would be our first um, bachelor um, female president as well. I mean, also our first female president, but, you know, sadly enough. But I think that that would bring an interesting um, aspect to uh, the leadership. And also she's... Um, she has a shrewd ability to pull the levers of power as well, as you can see on that show. Um, she runs that whole office. She's already used to it, uh, administration. She knows how to delegate. You see that throughout it. Um, she expects the best out of everyone. She expects the best out of herself, so she gets that out of her um, underlings as well. Um, and she understands when to leave the situation. She got herself into some bad relationships. She understood that it's time to go. And she extricated herself from the situations. Um, I think, you know, with, with a little trouble at first, but she understands when to cut ties, uh, which is 
I think a very good quality to have in, in, you know, trying something out, trying to help or trying to better your situation doesn't work. No one to stop, you know, don't quit when you're too far behind. And then also she'd be our first ginger president since Eisenhower, which, you know, uh, me being a redhead as well, I don't mind that. You know, I don't mind. I don't mind seeing. Well, oh, you're laughing. Oh, it's is it just hilarious that a ginger? It's a hilarious idea thinking of a redheaded president. I just that's that's cute. Oh, um, oh yeah. So and Eisenhower was more of like a burnt orange. I always thought. Yeah. Well, burnt orange is still ginger. So, well, either way. None of your sperms ended up in a sperm bank. (laughs) (laughs) Well, if it is, it'll be lonely. So uh. Uh, I think this is a solid choice for president, especially because uh, the way she'd be able to handle um, uh, a douchebag men in any other position, uh, uh, stateside or abroad. Sure. Who in the mad men world or outside the mad men world would be uh, a great person to either round out her cabinet or be her vice president, you think? Mm. I would go with, um, I would say she, she needs to be kind of tough. So I'm going to go with someone who's maybe on the, on the nicer side. And I I would go with, um, I'm going to go with Harry, um, from Mad Men, who was one of the account men. Um, can't remember the actor's name now. Uh, no, I, yeah, um, I would choose for her vice or in her cabinet, um, Harry as a vice president, um, who's, he's very smart, but he's kind as well. Mm-hmm. Still a little behind the times, but he puts in the work and he, he changes over the show too and understands, um, how awful the workplace has been for women and, and tries to help change that. And he's also open-minded to when integration, um, starts being covered in the show. And I hate to say it, but I think that, um, I think that Don would be a great, a great cabinet choice to like go in there, get his, get his hands dirty and be, you know, be that like back channel facilitator that unfortunately most presidents need. So, um, and, or, you know what, maybe a better vice president choice would be, um, uh, Jane Kasmarek from, um, Malcolm in the middle. (laughs) What, what what's what's her character's name? I can't remember her name now. Is it Lois? Lois. Is it Lois? Yeah, she's just like you get you get nice cop with with uh, Joan, and then she comes in and it's just like, God damn it, what the? F-? And just yes. like blows so, the room apart. Are so. you saying Lois isn't on your your list? No, she's not. Oh wow, I left her off my list because I was almost certain you would have her. Oh no no mm-hmm. I, th- I I I I don't think she was. Um, God, I hate saying this, but stable enough to be president. <laughs> That's why I think, you know, like a mad dog on a leash, you know. Although uh, I would love to see Hal as a first gentleman. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yes. <laughs> is there a better first gentleman? He would be the, like, like uh, Chevy Chase's idea of Gerald Ford as a, as a first gentleman. <laughs> that would be amazing. Oh, God. That is, that is a solid choice right there. On yeah. to uh, Nathan, your number two. My number two, I went with Brianna Barksdale from The Wire. Mm. Now, the cho- the reason behind this choice is somebody who puts the interest of um, the organization ahead of their own self-interest to the absolute maximum 
This woman, well, she was an advisor in the Barksdale organization. Her brother, Avon Barksdale, was the, the leader. She was an advisor to him and to Stringer Bell. And her son, D'Angelo, she puts him, uh, you know, in the line of fire in the, the drug trade very early on. He gets arrested and she literally convinces her own son to take extra years on his prison sentence in order to protect the interests of the entire organization. Now, obviously, they're in a nefarious drug trade. We could talk about, uh, you know, the socio-political and economic factors that put the family in that position. But this is a woman who will make sacrifices. Um, again, don't necessarily agree with the moral choice she made there, but it's a very complicated show. Mm-hmm. This is a woman who will make tough decisions. Uh, she stands up to both Avon and Stringer. Uh, she eventually figures out what happened to her son when he was in prison, uh, how he actually died. Uh, when Stringer, Stringer Bell is, you know, spoiler alert again, Stringer is out of the picture for one reason and Avon Barksdale is out of the picture for another reason. She kind of takes over what little uh, responsibility is left. She's dispersing payments. She's doing this. She's not afraid to cut people off. She decides, you know, all right, I've given these people enough money. It's time to move on. She's incredibly pragmatic. Um one of my favorite characters from the show. Um, yeah, I think I think she, there's a lot of leadership qualities there. Cabinet members or vice president. Well, actually, you I was thinking you already said this. So like Clay Davis was one person I would have thought would have been a great vice president for her. And then after after you said that, I've been scrambling over here in my notebook trying to think of other characters from <laughs> The Wire. Who, I think Proposition Joe would be good. Yeah. Might be maybe in like a, a secretary of state role, a guy, you know, proposition. He's making the negotiations, mm-hmm. trying to finesse people where she's much more direct. I didn't. Uh, proposition Joe built the East West basketball game, too. Right. He was That's bringing right. the city together. Yeah. Yeah. So he would be he would be your foreign relations guy. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the to get somebody in who is going to really be devious and underhanded. You got Carcetti, the Ugh. Mayor Carcetti. Yeah, there's there's. A thousand different characters from The Wire would would be interesting if you gave them even more power than they already had. <laughs> I I need to go back and rewatch The Wire again um, because, but I think I'll have a hard time with Carcetti because now I'll only imagine his little finger voice, where he's like, yeah, come, yeah, <laughs> he's just always kind of breathy and whatnot. But. Well, now now that yeah, now the Carcetti character seems like kind of like a teddy bear compared to the, <laughs> yeah. the little finger character. I remember how ashamed and like um for him i was and how let down it was when we, we you find out that he was cheating on his wife it was it was pretty sad like, oh god nothing and it's interesting too now the most recent baltimore mayor she was ousted because she was trying to peddle she, she's trying to get the libraries or like reading programs to buy the books she had been writing so she was like, and wow. she had control of that. So she was like trying to directly get the city to buy like whatever, 20,000 copies of her book or something like that to directly line her own pockets. And then when people were like, hey, you can't do that. She, she literally was like, I mean, I'm mayor. So <laughs> she's gone now. So, but yeah, Baltimore is a fascinating uh, mayoral history. So I encourage you to check it out. I will. I will. Well, there's a lot of things I need to Sorry. check out because the next uh, next week's episode, top five Baltimore mayors. <laughs> I think next week needs to be the top five shows Brian needs to watch because I have not seen <laughs> Mad Men or The Wire. Oh, and because man. of that, you put me in an embarrassing position. I can only give you each one point for this round. <laughs> 
talking about shows I haven't seen. God, this is all your fault somehow. I'm so sorry. I mean, right. So sorry. We we brought up shows that won a combined uh, like seventy eight Emmys. So sorry about that. Sorry about. That. Don't get me down that road. <laughs> <laughs> Top five award show things we call BS on will be next week. All right, uh, Mitch. This brings us uh, to uh, your finale. This yeah. I think this brings us to your number one TV mom. Number one TV mom. Here she comes, and her name is Carla Tortelli, the waitress from Cheers, played by Rhea Perlman. Good choice. Brian, this is another show you haven't seen. I'm I've guessing. seen Cheers. Okay. Yes. I'm waiting for you to say her name and where she was from for the audience. I, I thought for a second that the-, the No, the, I know who the, Carla the look is. on your face. Yes. Okay. Okay. No, see, this is why Carla, we need her right now. Mm-hmm. Because people are finally realizing that things really do need to change. Uh, and it's and it's not just all the obvious people who have been trying to change it, but like- you know you, your normal uh dick and joe's and your and your sally and 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 emily's you know on every block um and i think carla tortelli would lead this revolution the best as president because she is a working mom she's got how many kids she's like five kids or something and that, that that's like part of the joke she's like mm-hmm. she's got tons of kids she works her ass off she has a sharp wit she gets guff she gives it right back but harder um, she has a disdain for people who think a lot of themselves. She, um, you know, she can be impressed by the fancy things because she herself is, you know, uh, lower working class. But when she gets in there, I think that uh, she would change this country rapidly. Um, it wouldn't be the incremental steps um, uh, um, process that people have been preaching for decades. She'd get in there and she'd burn it down and rebuild it how she wanted, um, how she'd want it right away. The only problem that I could maybe see, because um, I feel like she's a little, like she's got a little, um, like a little corruptibleness to her, mm-hmm. to her, uh, to her character, right? So I think that cronyism could maybe fall prey. So she might have like. She might have uh, Sam Malone as in the cabinet somewhere, and he might be wholly unqualified to be there. Just somewhere in the background, quietly. Exactly. <laughs> drying a glass. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she's loyal. She's yeah. loyal. But I know that that idea is is rampant right now in this current administration, but I think this loyalty would be to people who mean well and who want for the most a number of people, yeah. not for the few. Um She's always got a rag on her shoulder. I love that. I think she should bring that into the into the president's office. Um, maybe wear a blouse, but no jacket. She just got a you know a towel over her shoulder. What and a she, great portrait that would be right? painted on the wall too. Yeah, <laughs> arms crossed, a towel yeah. over the shoulder. Um, and maybe when people come up with just a really bad idea, she just gives them a towel whip. Like, <laughs> get get out of here with that. Get your ass out of you know. Given given one of those. Um, she's small too. So like, I, I would love to see that power emanating from a, from a small character. Mm-hmm. You can just go in there and, and be the, the biggest dog in a room. Um, in, in the show is, does Danny DeVito cameo as her husband in the show? I, it's been years since I've seen any cheers. Um, in the seasons I've watched, Danny has not been in there yet. Okay. So, um, also I think that what also what, you know, what needs to kind of, be done to um, help raise the entire tide of our country is to redistribute some of this wealth, of course. And I think she would relish raking people over the coals who mm-hmm. who, who need to redistribute um, their ill-gotten gains. So um, that's my number one, Carla Tortelli. 
Um, if you haven't seen Cheers, go back. I think it's on Netflix. Check it out. It's a great, it's a classic show. It's a, it's a machine. It's great. I just started watching it for the first time ever, maybe a year ago. And I got through the first season and I, like, I'm really enjoying it. But it's so intimidating because there's like 300 episodes of that show. Oh, yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. So it's going to be a, it's going to be a long project. Yeah. Sticking with your list, there's a lot of similarities between Carla and Selena Meyer, I think, in terms of yeah. the power. That'd be a powerhouse ticket. Yeah. Actually, that's you're you're very correct on that. Maybe have Carla be the president and Selena the vice president. <laughs> <laughs> Even in our fantasy, she can't become president. Oh, I think uh, Armando Iannucci would, would really appreciate that. Oh part of my the god! <laughs> I mean, like, like really, uh, Carla Tortelli is kind of like um, uh, uh, Roger Furlong, but you know, <laughs> yeah. But but doesn't wear a suit. So yeah. yeah. But yeah, that's my number one. Thank you very much, everyone. I'm gonna I'm gonna drop the mic now. There, I'm done. Thank you. Carla Carla is a solid choice. All right. Well now we need Nathan to top that for his number one. Also also great hair. She has great hair. I love the perm. You need a perm. Yeah, love the perm. If you're gonna have a rag over your shoulder, you have to have a perm. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> in the constitution. Absolutely. And and she's not straightening her hair when she gets in office. No. That shit. She's gonna have a she's perm. She's doubling down on the perm. <laughs> she's having a perm dome in the Oval Office. She gets permed while people have to give her briefings. She's that that's the power move she'd pull. Nice. I like it. I like it a lot. Nathan, you're number one. My number one uh is the second person on the list who is a single mother. We got a voluntary single mother. And I chose this person for number one because I think they would do a good job as president, but also I think they actually could win an election, and that is Murphy Brown from the eponymous show Murphy Brown. <laughs> of course. So she, uh, she, she's uh, in her 40s. She's working as a pretty high-powered reporter in Washington. So she's got all kinds of connections. Several like real-life figures portrayed themselves on the show. And so she has a national audience, and she decides she's going to become a mother. She has uh, like a dalliance with her ex-husband who doesn't want to be a parent, but she's like, you know what, all right, I'm going to do this. Mm-hmm. And in a weird instance of fiction blending in with reality then vice president dan quayle made some comments on the the character murphy brown becoming a single mother sort of disparaging it and saying that murphy brown the character is you know it's had disregard for the role that fathers play in the family and sort of your classic conservative uh talking points but so in the show and in that interview, Dan Quayle, being the buffoon that he is, he only refers to the character Murphy Brown once. So the whole speech comes off as if he's talking actually about Murphy Brown like a real person. So they brought that into the show, the actual <laughs> clip of him, wow. as if he was talking about Murphy Brown, the character. <laughs> and reach, and then they, they spin it and turn it on. And she could have, if, if, if she was a real person and this was a real election and her opponent did that to her, it would have just, that would have been a godsend, just falling into your lap, something you could just twist their words and play it off on them. You know, he thought he was making a point, but then it would turn it would give her the sympathy vote and people would she'd become a a hero to single mothers everywhere and a sort of a progressive icon and uh her character is is pretty pretty cool she's very forward thinking there's a great episode where they try to make the show like a much lighter toned less serious thing they bring on some average woman and she turns out to be a horrible racist and a bigot and murphy brown just cuts her down immediately she's you know she's quick-witted She's fierce. She's on the on the right side of history. 
And she makes uh, tough decisions personnel-wise. There's a big running joke through the entire series where she, uh, pretty much every week, she has a new secretary. And they, <laughs> like, only only a couple last for more than a few episodes, one of them being Paul Rubens. Um, but most of them just have some terrible flaw, and so she fires them by the end of the episode. Just, she's not afraid to let the heads roll. Um, but yeah, I think totally plausible presidential candidate as a character. If If in that show they had decided to write in the later seasons to write having her run for president it wouldn't it it would have been pushing it a little bit but it would have been totally implausible it wouldn't have turned viewers away from it so she's my number one that's that's a solid choice and even even the murphy brown reboot they recently did i think in the pilot episode they brought on hillary clinton that's right yeah. to basically play herself yeah they did. so uh i don't quote me i don't remember she was playing herself but they're, they're basically riffing off reality like yeah. they would have for the quail thing. So, I mean, it's, I think it's still, I, still I think the, I think the revival, I didn't watch any of the revival. I heard it was more or less a disappointment, which is too bad. Cause that was a, that was a show that was ahead of its time. I thought it could have been, you know, appearing behind the scenes in Washington news with a strong single mother lead would have, it could have resonated, but uh, apparently it didn't, which is too bad. Absolutely. All right, uh, Mitch, for reminding me that there is a place I always want to go where everyone knows my name. I will give you definitely uh, a two points for that round. But uh, for the inspiring approach of of rounding this off with Murphy Brown, I got to give Nathan the maximum of three points. Thank you. Uh, which rounds out uh, this week's top five TV moms who need to be president. The winner by one point at 11 to 10 is Mr. Nathan Henenfent. Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. Wow. Oh, <laughs> There's a few. There's a few that I'm surprised were not mentioned. Yeah, and there's a couple on my runners up list here. Uh, one of which uh, nobody mentioned. I would have put on my list is um, Rochelle from Everybody Hates Chris, uh, played by uh, Trisha and Arnold. I the way she yells at everybody <laughs> on that show and keeps Terry Crews and everybody else in line. I feel like she would have been a, a powerhouse there. Um, I also had Beverly Goldberg played by uh, Wendy McClendon Covey um, of Reno 911 fame. I mean, I mean, she's a more or less not really <laughs> the kind of a stereotypical Jewish mother on, on the Goldbergs, but because she's got su- such organization and everybody's in line, and then if somebody picks on her kid, she's going out and doing it, I think would be a great choice. But my number three on my runners-up list, I believe, uh, Nathan, you have a story about before I reveal her name. So, yeah, I, as many people of our generation, I have had a... Uh, what I believe the kids call, and I'm making air quotes here, side hustle, <laughs> where I would get some extra income by doing rideshare driving. And I was in the Old Town District of Chicago, and I had a little thing pop up, and it was it was a very unique name, and not one that I really recognized. It was just a first name, not it was I don't know it, something was a, just seemed a little strange about it. And so I pulled over, waiting for the uh, passenger to. to come get in the car and then somebody knocks on the window and I turn and look and there's this uh there's an older woman there and I roll down the window and she's like you're Nathan I'm like yeah and she she had the most just unbelievably strikingly beautiful eyes just mesmerizing and like I was like okay and then the address was to the Steppenwolf theater and I'm like okay this is this is somebody who is this person like I know it's somebody so she gets in the back seat and then very polite. And she's like, do you mind if I make a phone call? I'm like, of course not. So she calls a doctor's office and she's confirming an appointment. And she says, yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. My name is Felicia Rashad. Claire Huxtable herself in the back of my. And so 
Um, she gets off the phone and I, I can't help but, you know, try and make a little conversation. And she was the sweetest, nicest, most down to earth person I have ever met in my whole life. Wow. She treated me like we'd known each other for years. Just incredibly kind and generous. Uh, left a large tip in the app after I let her off. She would, turned out she was directing a show at the Steppenwolf. And this was not that long ago. So this was right like the Cosby trial was ongoing. And I had so many questions I wanted to ask, but uh, I, I refrained from it. But she was a total class act. Um, I didn't really watch the Cosby show, but I can vouch for the actress who played Claire Hustable. First class in my book. Wow. I, I, I did. I wanted to put Mrs. Huxable down, but the Cosby show was on so long ago. And I watched it on a regular basis, but I just couldn't. You know, you, sometimes you just can't remember all the television you watch, you know, because no, you've watched sure. so much of it. But uh, she was always great. I mean, she was always like never got too high or too low and, you know, uh, was always a source of inspiration for her children. So and Nathan, I got to say, you really classed up the joint with adding Murphy Brown at your top and telling this heartwarming story about Felicia Rashad. So I'm going to bring us right back down to the pits <laughs> with my fast five Apple products that didn't make it past R&D. Starting with number starting with number five is the Apple Highlight before the iPad Pro and the Apple Pencil, and well before even there was an iPad, there was the Apple Highlight. This device was magical as they shrunk a scanner into the size of a highlighter, making it easy for students to run the device over some text and have it appear in their word processor. Things went horribly wrong, though, when they couldn't get it to stop translating basic words into racial slurs. Number four. <laughs> Is the Mac sack. This is what happens when you build products in the bubble that is uh, Palo Alto. <laughs> yeah, don't do it. Don't do it. A lot of misogyny, too. Uh, number four, the Mac sack. S-A-C is how it's spelled. Oh, sure. Uh, despite its unmarketable name, the Mac sack was a useful tool designed for school gyms. Made from precise memory nylon, the net-like device could detect how many balls were inside it. And if all the soccer balls weren't returned at the end of gym class, the net would start to flash red, alerting the teacher that there was school property missing. Development failed as two kids crawled inside the Mac sack, their bodies matching the weight and volume of the soccer balls precisely, engaging the drawstring to retract instantaneously, causing rope burn, some broken ribs, and death. <laughs> <laughs> Number three, <laughs> the irate. Uh, the iRate was uh, expected to be the future of point-and-shoot cameras before the iPhone and DSLR boom of the late 2000s. Uh, the iRate was a mobile internet camera device and social media platform that allowed users to snap photos and immediately upload them for rating online. The iRate ironically made developers furious when the beta site became clogged with photos of users rating each other's massive dumps. <laughs> <laughs> Number two, the MacBook Amateur. You've all heard of the MacBook and the MacBook Pro, but the MacBook Amateur was meant to be a mid-range device that bridged the price gap of the existing product line. In order to drive the price down, Apple hired amateurettes, as they called them, folks with limited computer assembly experience to run the production line. The tagline, for amateurs, by amateurs, ensured not a single computer was assembled alike. <laughs> <laughs> and of course, there's number one Apple product that didn't make it past R&D, the I Gotcha. A, <laughs> a pilot program where Apple was tasked with creating a chipset for low energy usage and high data output led them to test their creation in a series of nanny cams. The tech worked perfectly as it only needed to be charged quarterly while it maintained a high definition video stream to your iCloud account throughout the duration. 
I Gotcha was intended to be marketed as a safety blanket for parents, but the program was shut down when a purchase order was leaked to the public. 300 units to NBC Universal for Chris Hansen's To Catch a Predator. (laughs) (laughs) And that is this week's edition of Uber Cinco. Uh, On my left has been... Mitch Brinkman, guys. Thanks for stopping by. And on my right... Nathan Hennenfent. And as BizBear always says... If you shake it more than 300 times, you're definitely playing with it. Obviously, <laughs> and adios. You've just listened to Uber Cinco, a production of UBK Studios. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your fine podcasts from. If you like what you hear and want to support the show, please visit our Patreon site at patreon.com slash UBK Studios. Every little bit helps us keep the lights on and the bill collectors at bay. Keep tabs on us on all the social media at UBK Studios, and most importantly, subscribe to our YouTube channel so you can see that we really are just a bunch of good Midwestern boys.